Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Joe Moeller. I am the co-host of Yuppies and Harpoons. With me is my regular, Jacob. We're going to be talking about uh, a pretty sensitive subject here today. We're going to be talking about what's going on over there in Israel and with the, the recent um, attack from Hamas in the, uh, from the Gaza Strip. And uh, we're going to go over quite, quite a few details. We're going to probably look at the geopolitics of the, of, of the events that probably led up to the attack. We're going to go into some of the situations that uh, basically the situation that Gaza finds itself in and um, lots more. Yeah, and I, I think both of us kind of on that same page. I mean, the very most important thing is at this point, uh, thousands have been killed. Many thousands more have been injured. Um, and many of these people are civilians. So whether they're Israelians or Palestinian, many were civilians. And I think that's the most devastating aspect. This is not a, um, uh, military versus military casualty, which that is sad in itself. But when you add in innocent civilians, people living their daily lives, being attacked, um, there it's even that much more sad and, and devastating there. Um, but to kind of rush up here, just quick recap of what happened over the weekend um, with this latest um, rise in, in conflict. And, and I don't even know if the language we use today might not be the best in describing. Uh, so just please forgive us and give us some grace there as we're trying to figure out what's going on here. But um, so it's kind of all kicked off in the latest conflict. So this kicked off Saturday morning, about 6.30. Um, Hermas, which is the party in power in the Gaza Strip, uh, they invaded Israel. Um, they breached several points within the fence, uh, the barrier um, between Gaza and Israel, and they drove through the fence um, along with taking over some checkpoints, overwhelming the Israeli forces. This was a holiday weekend for Israelis. Uh, it was also Sabbath, uh, which means that they were caught off guard, not to mention uh, some pretty big um, military and intelligence failures uh, for something like of this size to have happened, which is why it's being um, called things like the 9-11 of Israel, um, where Israel is really caught off guard and a, a large attack where many were killed took place. So 6.30, they entered, um, and over the next several hours, there was a lot of um, really uh, Hamas coming in and killing individuals, um, taking individuals as prisoners, bringing them back to Gaza Strip, um, and all while sending rockets over as well. Um, so yeah, it the was... Numbers were, the numbers were staggering. It was like 2,500 missiles were fired. Right. Yep. No. Exactly. So by 12 p.m., so just six hours later, uh, there's 22 rockets confirmed sent over just that morning, and they'd continued throughout the day. Um, this struck many buildings, um, but at the same time, Israel has the Iron Dome, which is uh, protects Israel from a lot of rockets and, and missile strikes, essentially taking them out of the air. Um, although this did work on many of them, still plenty made it through and, and, and hit buildings and and uh, various forces. 
So the fighting kind of continued throughout the day until Israel was able to regain ground, get their footing. Um, and at that point, a lot of the fighting had kind of ceased and it went into Gaza had many prisoners that they brought back and um, were going through the streets. I think, yeah, I think, I think they took about probably 150 150 hostage yeah. and a little, little bit of context for that um one of the things that the you know, that hamas wants to use as leverage over over the israelis is normally the normally the israelis they don't they don't whenever there's hostages taken um the amount of people that they have to release in order to get their people back typically is disproportionate um and so you can you know it, it's it's happened before but some, sometimes the ratio can number from 10 to 1 where in order to get 100 Israelis back, it's probably going to take, you know, at least pro probably more like, like a couple thousand Palestinians to be released from, from prison. Um, and there's, there's a whole lot of, the issues here are so, are so complicated. You know, I, um, I have, I, I, I grew up going to church with people who ended up going over and moving to, into Israel. And I know people and, um, I even have some, um, you know, people, people in my personal life who are quite close to me, who, you know, are, are from Palestine. And it's just anybody who says that the situation isn't complicated, um, you know, clearly has one staked out position. And, you know, as the more and more I look into this, it's just, it, it, it really is complicated. Like when you look at the, just, just for prisoners, for instance, you know, the amount of, of Palestinians that are in prison currently um the amount right. of people that have been you know the, the age like they lowered you know israel lowered the age for the um so that they can incarcerate 12 year old boys and girls and and put them in prison that are in the west bank um and and in gaza and so you know part of the argument you might hear from people on the palestinian side for why you know they're taking hostages is because there there are literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people that are in prison uh, that have no link links to terrorism and um but again there's there's so much there's so much to unpack here um and i and i mm -hmm. go down a, an endless amount of rabbit holes um one of the things I, I definitely wanted to get into was some of the geopolitics here um one of the you know the prime minister of israel benjamin netanyahu has has prided himself as being somebody who his whole life's mission is securing the state of uh, of Israel, um, and this happening underneath his leadership is um, going to how he responds. It is going to define his legacy. There is no yes. question about this. Um, and Benjamin he, Netanyahu is a very controversial figure, to say the least. He, um, you know, there's beliefs he's running just so that he can't be indicted because when you're uh, in a prime minister. He can't be indicted under Israel law, you know. So there's some. He's a very controversial figure. Um, he he's been he's lost elections prior. He's been prime minister prior, uh, but this is definitely a defining moment. In well, his, he certainly. See, he's also very interesting because um, he's always been a champion on the on the right in the United States, largely because you know he managed to do in in as prime minister what no American politician has been able to do, which is to cut entitlements. Many people don't know this, but Israel um, for a long, long time was actually a heavily socialistic economy and had exceedingly high tax rates. Um, 
and got in there and, and lowered and cut the entitlement state and really became like a celebrity on the right, um, which, you know, then with his confrontation with Barack Obama um, only made him a bigger and bigger star. And so he's very familiar uh, in the conservative movement and, you know, has has a lot of conservative allies here in the United States. Um, with that said, another key part of his legacy has been, um, I think few can argue, the unbelievable accomplishments of, of the of the Abraham Accords, where mm-hmm. um, regardless of whether or not you agree with the Abraham Accords, the fact that Netanyahu was able to get them done is um, – is just it's it, it was unimaginable the idea that you would have countries like Morocco, like Bahrain, like the UAE signing and, and entering into um, trade agreements with with Israel back in if you if that you were to say that to somebody back in two thousand five they would have laughed at you in your face, right. um, and so these are massive developments that have occurred over the past four or five years, and um, there's been a lot of speculation that the chief country that's been perpet- that's been pushing this um, acceptance of, of Israel as a state in the Arab world has been Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia has not come out and explicitly said that they support, um, you know, uh, you know, the way that Israel has run its country. Um, they, but they are, they, they are in the negotiating tables and are looking to, they, they, they currently are. Right. I think they I currently. Think, I think it'll be right. good. We, I think to really dive into that in a little bit later too, of you know why now Saudi Arabia is looking to negotiate with Israel and what that. Well, I think I think yeah, I was just about we'll see on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a that's a crucial point because uh, Saudi the Saudi Arabia and the. Um, and Israel were in talks, and they were about, and probably in the next couple of months, it was expected that some sort of a framework of a deal um, for full recognition of the state of Israel and bilateral trade agreements and entry from you know so citizens of Israel can visit Saudi Arabia and vice versa. Um, that that the initial steps for that framework of a deal were, were were on the verge of happening in Saudi Arabia today. There's a generational divide between younger, um, young, young Saudis who are, you know, really of the crown prince's age, and older Saudis who have a who have a deep and sincere loyalty and care and regard for the Palestinian people. They believe that there should at least be a two-state solution, and that normal there there should be no normalization between Saudi Arabia uh, and and Israel unless there is a two-state solution uh, where the Palestinians mm-hmm. have their own. Um, state with their own sovereignty and their own rights, um, whereas the the younger generation in Saudi Arabia is a little bit more pragmatic, and that that has a lot to do with um, you know the threat of Iran, and obviously Iran is a is a uh, is a Shiite Muslim country, and Saudi Arabia is a Sunni Muslim country, and there's just a lot of division and a lot of um, suspicion between those two countries, and Iran has a serious interest and not allowing uh, for there to be normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel, because Israel is a very sophisticated, technologically innovative economy. um, And those two working together certainly uh, poses a threat to Iran. And um, 
you know, I think that there's a lot of, there's, there's, there's a lot more that we can go into, but you know, if we, if we want to dip into the history a little bit as well, I think we can, mm -hmm. we, we can, we can attempt that too. But I really wanted to try and just get people to understand that, um, you know, the timing of, of this attack is not coincidental. You know, there, there are obviously events that were happening within the West Bank and within Gaza that right. um, were certainly extremely pro you know, provocative. You know, there were there were five women outside a mosque who were led around, you know, bare naked, um, extremely conservative Muslims, you know, uh, just totally humiliated in front of, you know, in, in, in Hamas and, you know, people in Gaza were, were crying for this sort of stuff to stop. But but this was a plan that was long in the making because the, the talks between the Saudi um, between the Saudis and Israelis have been going on. Uh, the back channels have been going on for a long time now. And so mm -hmm. this is something that has been in the works for, for quite some time to respond and to, and to try to prohibit a union or not a union, but a, but a, a normalization between Saudi Arabia and, and Israel. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely a pretty major um, turning point to of, of Saudi Arabia coming in and saying, we're willing to, recognize Israel as a state. You have Iran, on the other hand, who is behind the scenes really orchestrating as much as they can, um, including supplying um, ammo and guns and weapons to different terrorist groups that would undermine Israel, um, financing different aspects as well. Um, Iran's really trying to play um, be the playmaker in the region, where at the same time you have Israel and countries are coming to Israel and finding peace agreements, only putting more pressure on Iran to step up their works there. Um, well, and I, and I need to, I do need to, I'm sorry, there was, there was one other thing I, I had to say about that specifically, which mm -hmm. is Iran is leveraging Palestinian fear. Yes, that the rest of the Arab world is abandoning them for security ties within with Israel. Iran right. knows that the Palestinian people are fearful of the fact that so many neighboring neighboring Arab countries have normalized relations with Israel. Yes, and because of that, they're exploiting it. And um, I, I think that that's a if if there's any point that you can take away about the current situation on the ground there, that that is one to take away. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that just compounds on top of all the other tensions and conflicts in this region. That That is one of those areas where it's one of those things that's going to push people over and you're going to see these attacks like you saw on, on Saturday, which are, are very, um, they're not common. Uh, you know, they Hamas and, and Israel, they're going back and forth constantly. Um, bombs being sent over constantly, but you haven't seen a level of attack like this until recently. And and I think part of that's just the constant tension that's heating up and, and it boiled over this past weekend, unfortunately. So I think some of the history, it really depends on who you ask or where it starts. So if you ask someone from Israel, Israel, this is their land. This is the promised land. This is what Moses, um, when led the Israeli Israelians out of Egypt. Israelites. Israelites, sorry. Led the Israelites yeah. out of Egypt. This is where they end up after 40 years in the desert. This is their promised land. God promised for them. Um, 
then you see Israel go in and out exile. Um, and then for, for many generations there, um, not much happens. It goes back and forth between different groups uh, trying to conquer it until the Ottoman Empire comes in. This is right after the Crusades, um, fairly far after the Crusades, but you kind of have this this Muslim rule um, over the state of Israel, what, what we call Israel at this point. Um, and so this, this all happens 1500s into the 1800s um, when the Ottoman Empire falls. And this is after World War I, British comes in and are ruling over which is Palestine at that point in time. It's not until 1948 that the state of Israel is formalized um, with British mandate. And um, you create this state for essentially for the Jewish people after World War II. There was millions of Jewish people, pretty much no country wanted them. They had been persecuted for from their beginning and so they always wanted a state that they could be their own. Um, the idea being you can't erase a state completely, but you can erase people groups. Um, so by having a state, they would make sure they wouldn't be able to be erased. Um, but the whole the whole Zion movement that forms the, the state of Israel, you start seeing that in the 1800s. Um, so you see migration really start to start in 1800s with um, tens of thousands of Jews, later hundreds of thousands of Jews coming into what is now the state of Israel. Well, meanwhile, Palestinian people living there still. So this all culminates into 1947. There's a, a war where they're expelled. Um, the Palestinian people at the time are expelled um, and they are pushed out. State of Israel is formed and you see massive influx of Jewish people to the area since then. And, um, yeah, it's worth, it's worth noting, um, go ahead. Um, anyone who, when, when you look at the, the battle between Israelis and, and Palestinians, uh, I don't think it's possible to draw a conclusion other than this is a problem that was created by Europe. Um, it was, it, this initially, you know, Zionism isn't even something that originated in Judaism. It's a, it's actually a, a, a racist Christian development. It's, it, you know, it was some, it was a Christian idea. I, that I don't, the Jews I don't know to, if I fully support that. Who saying it's Christian wants to, Zionism? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you really see that with people, the Jewish people who are, you know, during the Holocaust are massacred. That the Holocaust was one of many times the Jewish people have been, whether genocide or, or um, forced out or oppressed um, throughout history. Um, and so, I'm, I'm virtually know, positive that, that, you it, know, Zion that Zionism and, originated, mm -hmm. the, like the idea that the, that the Jewish people would return to Israel and reestablish a Jewish state was something that, that Christians pointed to happening in, in being recorded in the book of Revelation. Right. And that was a belief that, well, this is a, this is a real, this is a real rabbit hole. But during the Catholic, <laughs> it, during the Refor during the Reformation, there was a, a huge debate in the church because the understanding in, in the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions was that Israel 
the Israel, the new Israel of the new covenant is the church and it's the body of Christ. And it's all people who claim to be in communion with the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some Protestant theologians. Now this wasn't necessarily out of racial animus um, against Jews, but there were some, um, there were some Protestant theologians who interpreted the word Israel literally to mean the actual Jewish people. Um, And, and, and kind of parted ways with that, with that understanding. And then in, in succession, there began to be a, a, a anti-Semitic, let's just deport them all. And then it was after those the theological developments within Christianity, you actually see a Jewish Zionism come up, come, come to fruition. Um, but, but it's, Zion, that's not a unique thing. That's something they've always wanted because, you know, the whole idea of the promised land to them, right? They had this land that was devoted to them. There was the land of milk and honey. It was a prosperous land that was stripped from them when they were sent to exile. They never re- regained that there. And there's always this, this, you know, are looking, you talking about biblical uh, times or uh, more of modern day Zionism, uh, you know? Okay. And, and so you, you, the Jewish people have always wanted this, you know, restoration, not all of them. I'm not going to speak for all of them, but it's always been the sense of restoring what was once for them. Um, and so you see it, you also see the Christian and what you're talking about coming in. And then you see that the two kind of merge and, and, and it allows for this path to come forward into some sort of cooperation. Right. But, you know, it really, it's just as much as, you know, the Jewish people who, I mean, during World War II, boats of Jewish people are coming to the shores of the U.S. of America, and we're turning them away, right? No one wanted the Jewish people. They've always been persecuted. Um, And, you know, myths and different things created about them so that they would be less desirable people. Um, So creating their own state allows them to have authority, allows them to have a stake in history. It's hard to erase a whole state, a whole country, but it's easy to erase people groups. So that's kind of a lot of the motivation from the the Jewish standpoint. And again, I'm not Jewish, so, you know, maybe there's a lot more I'm missing here, but that's part from, you know, just as much Christian as, as Jewish is where the Zionist movement comes from. I mean, as early as in the 1800s, you see, um, Jewish people moving to the Palestinian state and, and settling there, um, kind of with this mindset of this could be ours, this could be our state one day, um, and setting some yeah. of those early seeds for then what would become in 1948 the state of Israel, right. as we know it today. Well, and and what? Well, and 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 part of the um, also part of the, the background with. You know, with the uh, the revolution and when Israel declared its independence from Britain, uh, there, there, there's just so many political factors there. The, one, the Soviet Union was actually giving um, was actually giving uh, military support to the Israelis, um, and uh, and the British were were giving basically defective military equipment to the Palestinians, um, and mm-hmm. p- part of that was because. Um, yeah, the Soviets didn't want the United States to develop a strong relationship with Israel, and um, and, and kind of wanted to drive a wedge between um, U.S. policy and, and British policy. That's a whole other. That's a whole another rabbit hole. But the big thing when it comes to the revolution uh, is that there's something that the Palestinians talk about, which is known as the Nakba, which is 
basically the um, the 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 either the extermination or the um, force exodus of Palestinians from their homes. So when the Jews declared uh, independence, they basically went through all of the lands that you know. When you look at Israel, when you look at inside, you know, other than the West Bank and Gaza, they went down and they pretty much decimated all the Palestinian villages and created a massive refugee crisis um, yes. where a lot of Palestinians still live in either in Gaza or, or in the West Bank. And uh, the number and of is, people that were dis- were either killed or, dis- or, or, or moved, um, it varies by who you, by who you ask. Um, but it, it, you know, some, some people say it, it, you know, the, the initial amount of people that were moved were, were well over a million and their descendants today, at least in total, you know, I think about six to 8 million people. And, um, it, one of the things that people may not know, um, but you know, I've come to know is that a lot of Palestinian families that were expelled, this is just literally two generations ago, um, they still had the keys to the homes right. where they used to live and where their families used to live. And they, there's a long desire of return to those homes. Um, and so the, if, you, if you meet someone who's Palestinian, a lot of times what they'll have is they'll have like a grandparent or a great grandparent that grew up in an affluent home, you know, you know, bordering the tent Mediterranean, they were on the sea or something. And their parents actually grew up in a constant, you know, in some sort of a refugee camp, um, because of just the massive upheavals of, of, of the, um, of, of the revolution. Now, that being said, you have to acknowledge what, um, mm-hmm. what was happening in Europe. You know, it's not like the Jews were given a much better bargain. Uh, they were literally being sought after to be exterminated by half of Europe. And, right. you know, it's like in the other countries weren't taking them in. <laughs> and so the U.S. wasn't accepting them. The U.K. wasn't accepting them. So where exactly are you going to go? Um, and it's, it, it, you know, I, I, again, I'm not going to, I can't cover all everything that, you know, that both sides would would try to argue here, but it's it's certainly a very 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 uh, complicated set of, of of circumstances, all based upon hatred, mm-hmm. and 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 that's really what it boils down to is just pure hatred for other human beings. And uh, you know, as we'll get into today, and, uh, and, with the situation and on top Gaza, of that, the yeah, hatred comes from both sides stating that this is their land. So you have this, you know, limited amount of land. And you have Palestinians saying, this is our land. We've been here for generations. And on the flip side, you have Israeli Israelites saying, this is our land. We've been here for generations as well. Because they go back thousands of years and Palestinians can do the same. And what that leads to is just hatred for each other. Um, and that's why the Palestinians still hold on to the keys because they believe this is their land and they'll be able to go back home, um, even though it's been yeah. several generations well, if you go and you just open up, like I have a, a copy of Will Durant's, you know, um, History of Civilization, and you just read about the 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 place in Israel. Like if you learn learn about the land of Israel, it's called Palestine. You know, it wasn't that long ago that it was called Palestine, and you know that's a very very offensive name for, uh, to Jews because the term the word Palestine was a word that the Romans mm-hmm. used as an insult. They took the name um, of of, of of Israel and they replaced it and, and, you know, in Judea and they replaced it with, uh, with Palestine. Actually the, the, uh, the word actually com- comes from Philistine, 
which right. you know anyone who's literate in, in biblical history um and in stories would, would know that the philistines were an arch rival you know david and yeah. goliath goliath david is, and a, is yep. a philistine you know um and so the the very name palestine is just it has such it, it's such a derogatory term uh for any jew and um it's it, <laughs> you know it, it, it's just uh anyway um and so, of course, no, no yeah. Jews aren't going to want to no. call, you know, they'll never refer to the land as Palestine. Never. They'll, they'll, it'll never happen. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, and so, yeah, I think that those events still, you know, are creating the, the, the situation we have today. Yeah. And I think for anyone to... who was born and raised in America or many Western societies, it's so hard for us to really grasp what it's like to be there because you have two sides and it's very clear that they're separate sides. Um, one is all about Palestine. One is all about Israel and the idea that they're going to come together and be peaceful, coexistent is, is very difficult to grasp when you start to meet and talk with people from those sides because it, they each have such, um, one, it's where they live. So they have that whole, this is where I live. This is where I eat. This is where I sleep, that whole side of it. But then they also have a very like deep understanding of like language matters a huge amount. So like names and, and things like that very much matter where in America, we don't really have that same amount of weight to certain things, um, right. but culturally it's a very sensitive thing as it should be. I mean, it's, you're talking about two people groups that really respect and weigh heavily on their historical context. Um, and, you know, that. Yeah, they're inheritors of great tradition. I mean, yeah. it's something I think that we need to, we need to actually jump into is, is kind of the current, the current situation with what happened recently. You know, um, we could go on forever about um, the history here. Right. Uh, but what I wanted to try and touch on was uh, we've heard for a long time that um, you know what Hamas did was an act of terrorism, and let me say unequivocally, it was an act of terrorism. What they did, it absolutely was. Um, when you look at the reports, when you see the beheaded children, uh, the beheaded babies, the um, the women who were stripped of their clothes and bore out naked and driven on the sides of jeeps. You the, know, the music um, festival you, where you have people music festival. trooping in and killing hundreds of people as they're, you know, having fun at this festival, you know. You see videos that were live streamed at that festival, all those people are dead. Right. Yeah, you see the cars and you see how there's families, you know, in, 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 in homes, you know, running out the rooftops of their, you know, opening their windows and running out onto the roof and they're being shot, you know, they're, I just, and you see the father, I saw a video of a father who was, you know, running away, he was throwing his children out the window, and they were crawling onto the roof, and then he, you know, Hamas soldiers had come into the, into the home and, and shot him dead, you know. Um, terrorism is terrorism is terrorism. And, you know, that is not to say that every single person who is a sympathizer to the Palestinian cause is a terrorist. It does not mean that. And I feel like there's been this um, really failure to distinguish the two. You know, if you kill babies, 
I don't care what you care, what you claim to be. I don't care where you came from. Um, if you if you kill mothers, I don't care where you came from. If you, you know, if you shoot up hospitals, I don't care where you came from. And you know, what, what you hear, you know, from um, the Palestinian side is that Israel has done the same thing to us. Right. And you want to know something? They're probably right. They're almost certainly right. And, and, you know, but, but the problem is, the problem is nobody, whenever there's a conflict, because everyone thinks that the other person is more wrong, no one's willing to say that what happened was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's where the conversation actually needs to start. Um, now you can say that, well, why, why are we having the conversation now? Why are we having the conversation? Because children, like Israeli children were killed. What about our children? Our children were thrown off buildings. Our children's schools were shut up. Nobody said a thing. Why now? You know, and that's a valid point. That's a very valid point. You know what? Maybe you know, clearly Western media has more of a prerogative for caring for Israeli children when they're shot than Palestinian children. Okay. But what I would like to tell people who are supporters of the Palestinian movement is that if you want your movement to be recognized mm-hmm. and to be accepted and for people to give it attention, you cannot try to condone the actions of Hamas first. Correct. You have to condemn Hamas and what it did first, okay? And then talk about how we prevent events like this happening in the future. And then you can go into the things about the situation in Gaza. I think that there, I think it's extremely understandable about what happened in Gaza, about how the actions of the Israeli government created this situation where something like this was inevitable. I, I think, I think that that's obvious. Okay, but but to but to start out with a conversation with people who honestly are already susceptible to Western media, then what? Then you then the burden is on you, whether you like it or not. You have to make your case, and you can't start off by saying, "I will not condemn when babies are killed and women are raped." Mm-hmm. You can't start there, right? And 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 I say this as somebody that. I, I I have looked at and I have been sent endless amounts of material on the awful things that Israeli soldiers do on a daily basis to Palestinians. And it's awful. It's awful. Right. And this is where I think and, it's and, important and anyway. too for this con this particularly is is to separate Hamas is a is a recognized terrorist group by the UN, by the US. This is a the party that was elected to power in, in 2006 or 2007. And um, this is Hamas can be separated from the Palestinian people, the civilians who are living their lives and are not actively engaging and, and, and chanting death to, you know, Israeli Israel. You know, there's a difference. Hamas, though, their mission is to eradicate Jews from this section of the world. And, and really, I think from the rest of the world, if you follow what they, they preach, um, Hamas is a terrorist organization and it's hard to really separate from that. At the same time, you see Israel and they have, I mean, I think Jerry did a decent job of getting started at some of the oppressive nature of Israel. And again, this can go, you can look at Israel as a, a government and a country, and then the Israel as people, and they're kind of separate. Um, 
but that you know that's a big thing and if you don't condone Hamas's actions then if you don't condemn what do you, what, yeah, condemn, right. so, you know what <laughs> where what would it take for you to do so at this point after what happened this past weekend and any any chance of a two-state solution we're not even going to go that you know any chance that Hamas gets what they want. Let's talk about like a two-state solution, like a, a moderate stance. That's off the table at this yeah. point after this weekend. Well, and, and that's Any the progress problem, that right? could have been made is gone because right now yeah. there's blood on the hands of Hamas and Israel is going to fight. Israel has a strong military. They're one of the most well-equipped countries because they know that the constant threat of attack is there. They have had war after war after war and constant daily threats. They are well suited for a fight. And the people have risen up. Um, hundreds of thousands have come as reserves already just in the days after the attacks. This is a country willing to fight. And by essentially provoking them, what what did this gain for Hamas besides it, exactly. exactly besides getting a few headlines? But really revealed a lot of colors. For, and that's for why Hamas's. I want. No, I, and that's what that's the thing that I want to try to make clear is that this was something that the Iranian government, the, the Iranian government, is using the yes. fear of Palestinians from being abandoned by their Arab neighbors to incentivize and to fund. I believe. I mean, that hasn't yes. been officially confirmed, but to fund this sort of activity. You know, um, but let's let's dive into Gaza because I think Gaza is just it's, it's screaming for our attention right now. Well, for is. those who don't know that there's basically two Palestinian territories within within Israel. There's the West Bank and then there's the Gaza Strip. All right. The Gaza Strip is separated from the West Bank. It's probably about a 40 minute drive if you were to actually like go from the West Bank, the southern most part of the West Bank to to Gaza. Um, but Gaza, since 2006, nobody's been able to leave and enter Israel, and the border between Gaza and Egypt is also is also locked. And so, um, part of that agreement, there was an agreement with Israel that um, with Egypt that Egypt really wouldn't permit uh, people in the in Gaza to leave and and, and go through their uh, go through their border crossing, and uh, Israel is just pr pretty much totally banned with 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 some. Uh, rare exceptions, people entering um, Israel from Gaza. So, right um, because of that, there are actually two governments um, in the in, in in the Palestinian territories. In the West Bank, you have what's called the Palestinian Authority, and um, in Gaza, you have what's called Hamas. In mm -hmm. 2006, when there was an agreement reached um, that basically Israel would pull out of Gaza, prior to 2006. There are, I think, about 10,000 Israeli settlers that were living in Gaza. There were Israeli soldiers that were located in Gaza. And there was an agreement that um, ultimately, due to some, with, with some concessions and what and, and so on, that um, Israel would pull out its soldiers along with its, um, with its um, settlers, the Israeli settlers, from Gaza and ultimately let it elect its own government. And the people did elect its own government. They elected... The leaders of Hamas, and they have been in control of the Gaza Strip ever since. Now, um, there's more context that's needed. It, there, there's a lot of, um, I, I wouldn't call it propaganda, but I would say just bad information 
Um, so maybe that maybe that is uh, propaganda. I don't know. I, I, think, I think that's but, um, it, yeah. there's just yeah there's just there's just some incorrect um, facts going around uh, about about Gaza and because people have been saying well the Palestinian people they had their own they had their own people and then they elected Hamas um, and listen I don't think it's ever good to elect people like you know like Hamas I think that's just a bad electoral decision but when you look at what's happening in Gaza Israel still controls the water supply. Um, they give the people living in Gaza about four hours of electricity. They have complete control over the amount of electricity that, that flows that into Gaza. That is actually down to three hours at this point. It, yeah, three it's down to three hours a week. A day, yeah. Down to three uh, hours. I think it's three hours a day that they're allowing. We should probably okay, maybe, check that. But very, uh, very well, you know minimal. What? You, you, you know what? Okay, yeah. Three hours a day. Let's just say that. Three hours a day. That's That's, you know, try to operate on three hours a day of electricity a day that's um and so they they operate they control their water supply they control their electricity um they have complete control of gaza's airspace they control what goods enter in and out of gaza so they can cut down cut out all trade all trade that's exported outside of gaza israel has complete control over and they have an agreement with egypt to prevent people from leaving gaza if they don't try to leave gaza through israel which there's a complete and there's a complete ban. So nobody can leave. So if, you, if you're born in Gaza, which is about 22 miles by 10 miles. It's about well, twice miles the long size by, of the District yeah. of Columbia, D.C. Yeah. For context. Yep. You can't do it. You can't leave. And so um, about 40% of the people in Gaza are unemployed. About 60% of the people living in Gaza are uh, beneath the poverty line. And over half of the population is below the age of 19. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about and, that for a second. And, and, and there's 2.3 million people in this area. Highly, yeah. highly concentrated. One of the most highly concentrated areas in the world in this small little strip. Right. And, um, and, and, and so create a situation like that. Where you prevent people to leave, and, and again, you have water. You have the, you don't have access to independent access to water and electricity, um, and you can't really con um, conduct trade on your own. Um, like it, it just festers this 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 hazardous this basically this 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 hazardous situation of of of, of hopelessness, of meaninglessness, of drugs. All of which are just infested all throughout Gaza. You mm -hmm. know, people don't have any meaning in their lives. If you were secluded on, on 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 a plot of land that was again twice the size of the District of Columbia, and you've and if you and you've never been able to leave that for for your whole life, yeah, you know, that's that's just, that's something I can't even begin to relate to. And yeah. um, you know, and I and so I think that understanding that and and then that that the attack came out of this area. Was it wrong? Yes. It's not right to kill children. It's not right to rape women. It's not right to just just, just shoot people for the hell of it. It's wrong. Okay? But what, what exactly do we expect to happen when you treat human beings like this? That's, that's kind of the and, – and, and what sort of policies do we want to try to implement in the future to you – know, basically to prevent these um, – hostile environments from arising. And I think what you're saying isn't, doesn't, uh, isn't 
conflicting with what you said earlier, right? Like the fact that what happened is a terrorist act, what happened was horrible and should, you know, never be done before. But then on the flip side, you can understand yes. why it built up and, you know, why this happens. It, it's the situation that people in the Gaza Strip are living in. Like you said, they don't have a purpose because there's no way for them to have a purpose in the situation that they're living in. Well, make another point, Jacob. There are people whose families were separated in, in Gaza when, when, when people in Gaza could no longer leave Israel and it, was, it became its own sovereign, in quotation marks, uh, entity. Um, you know, there are families that haven't been able to see each other for, for almost 20 years now, where, um, you know, some of my, the people that I know that are Palestinian, you know, their families have not, um, basically the only way they stay connected with them uh, is now over FaceTime, which they've only had access to over like in, in the last four or five years. Before that, they, they, they had hardly any communication with them at all. And they live about 40 minutes apart, mm -hmm. you know, to, to 60 minutes. And they haven't seen them in, you know, 15, almost 20 years. And right. so we, we are talking about a, a, a set of circumstances I don't think people fully appreciate. Um, you know, now with that said, I, you know, the, there is another distinction between um, the, the territories, which is that you know, the Palestinian Authority is uh, in control of, of the West Bank and you know, Hamas is in control of, of Gaza. The Palestinian Authority has acknowledged that the state of Israel has a right to exist. Um, Hamas is not. And so there is a extra level of hostility that the Israeli government has towards get the Gaza Strip because they elected a government that is in its charter solely interested in dismantling the Israeli state. That all, all foreign aid, whether it comes from the EU, the UN, or the United States, when you hear that there's aid that's going to Palestinians in Gaza, the recipients of that aid are Hamas. Right. And, and so- Now become some of the wealthiest individuals the leader of Hamas have become one yes. of the wealthiest individuals in the world. Yep. Yes, exactly. And, and so, you know, while there's a very compelling case, and again, I have a lot of sympathy um, for Palestinians that are suffering in, in Gaza. And um, there has to be an acknowledgement that part of the reason, another, you know, part of the reason certainly is, Probably the reason that there hasn't been any development, why there is so much hopelessness in Gaza, has has almost has a lot to do with the actions that Israel has taken and, and the restrictions they place on Gaza. Some things that cannot be ignored, though, are the fact that Hamas does not use the foreign aid that um, the United States, that the UN, that the EU provides it uh, for ways that actually help build up the Gaza Strip. They, they do it to enrich themselves and to fund their and, and, and to, to buy to buy weapons and um, basically to build up a pair for, you know, military actions like we saw a couple of days ago. And this is where the Israel argument comes into play, where the part of the agreement was Gaza would be this land for them to self-govern, self-rule. There would be a, you know, movement towards a two-state solution which would be kind of the solution to end the, avoid this conflict. Israel's then turning around saying, 
billions of dollars of aid has been provided to the Gaza Strip and what has been done with it. All the utilities essentially are still relying on Israel, um, the water, electricity. None of this has been investments into the Gaza uh, infrastructure, the Gaza people. It's just been going to build up the military and build up the wealth of the leaders of Hamas rather than helping the people of Palestine. And so, you know, Israel can sit back and I'm going to say, see, we did our part. We, we, you know, made a consensus. And what did that do? It backfired. Now, now we have this small little area that is under, uh, you know, occupation and, you know, all these conflicts are happening. What, you know, why, why are we even negotiating with Palestinians if this is the outcome? And so it, it kind of fuels their, their argument on the Israeli side um, by Hamas corruption and Hamas undermining the Palestinian people and the people that elected them to serve. Um, so, you know, it doesn't help the case whatsoever. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's a tragedy uh, for, you know, for certain. And, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're probably approaching the hour here, so we'll probably, we'll need to cut it short probably relatively soon, but I wanted to just make a, just another point that, you know, regardless of where, of where you are on, on, on a situation on, on this, on this issue, you know, an awareness to suffering is a, is a virtue. And, you know, one of the greatest people I've ever, um, I've ever met is my, is my priest here in, um, Concord. And every, every Sunday he, you know, does a, a, a wonderful job of just thinking about or staying attuned to the tragedies that are happening around the world and bringing them up in prayer during mass. And, you know, I think one area where people who consistently find themselves supporting Israel could really do themselves a favor is to not only be aware of the sufferings of Israelis. I want people to hear me very clearly. The sufferings that Israelis have suffered over the past couple of days have been atrocious. They've been awful. Okay, and they deserve our compassion. They deserve our sympathies. And we should keep their families in our prayers. With that said, um, we have a responsibility to be aware of all suffering. We have a responsibility to be cognizant of not just Israeli suffering, um, but also the suffering that happens at the hands of Israelis when it comes to how they treat people in the West Bank and how and how they treat people in in the Gaza Strip, I think that that's something that that we we have a responsibility to, um, as as people to do, and I, I don't see why that would be you know remotely controversial. I don't think that that's you know me being pro or anti-Israel. Frankly, I think it's 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 an awareness to to suffering, as I said earlier, is is, is a virtue. And, um, you know, I think that honestly, when people evaluate issues, when they are intentional with identifying suffering, um, no matter what skin color or nationality the person is, it benefits all of, all humanity. And everyone will feel that they're recognized. Everyone will feel like they're being heard. If we all make a make a point to be open to and, and be mindful of, of the suffering of everybody. And so that's all I, that's really all I have to say.
Yeah. I think on that note, another episode of Yuppies and Harpoon. And um, yeah, I mean, not an easy topic. A lot more for us to unravel as the days and weeks to come regarding um, Israel and Palestine. And definitely not an issue that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, but thanks for joining us and, and like and subscribe. And uh, actually... One more thing before people go. If you want okay. to learn um, a little bit about the the history of of just some of the conflict, not just between uh, Israelis and Palestinians, because that's a you know that, that's a, that's a real that's actually a very specific um, conflict, unique to our, our present time in the past hundred years. But if you really want to learn about the the complexities of of, of the history of of of, of Israel and in the, in the land that it's on. Um, and specifically like the city of Jerusalem, I would recommend the book Jerusalem by a, a man named Simon Montefiore. Um, it just kind of gives a, a great summary of how no matter who's had control of Jerusalem, it's always gone to gone to hell. And so it's whether it was the Christians, whether it was the Muslims or whether it was the Jews, it's just it's always been a problem. Um, and uh, I, I found it to be a, a very very human book to be frank it was just a book that i felt it like could have been a great a great biography about human beings so um but yeah with that i, I think that's a that's a that's a good note to end um and i know this was a sensitive topic but i think it was necessary to talk about so yeah. we appreciate you listening and like jacob said like and subscribe and uh we'll be back next week jacob yuppies and harpoons thanks for joining yuppies and harpoons all right, see you guys. See ya.